Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Who's that? That's our one and only super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Give him a hand. Or two. Or three. But not too many. They called me Ben. No, this is <laughs> this is one that's been on our list for a while, my friend. Uh, you have actually traveled to Austin, Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to Austin uh, one time many years ago for um, this little thing they do there called South by Southwest. Um, I'm joking; it's not little. It's huge. It's sort of ballooned over the years. I didn't go to the music portion of it, which I would like to do one day. I went to the tech portion of it, which I think happens like right before or after the music thing. Overall, I very much enjoyed at Austin. The the Uber oh, yeah. drivers were all super helpful and were really knowledgeable about the history of Austin, um, which is what we're going to talk about today. And uh, anyone who's been there or even is remotely familiar with it is probably aware of the whole campaign or slogan of keep Austin weird mm-hmm. um, because, you know, Texas is a very, very large state, and the majority of it is very, very red, uh, very um, conservative, traditional, you know, kind of the idea of Texans, everything's big, you know, it's uh, big big attitudes, big hats, big trucks, and and uh, big dreams, right? Um, but Austin has always been kind of this, like, liberal enclave uh, of arts and music and uh, barbecue, Um which is also in other parts of the state. But yeah, it's always kind of maintained its little kind of oasis of weirdness, very similarly to how Atlanta is in, in Georgia. Yeah, yeah. 
that's not a bad comparison at all. And it's funny because our our research associate, Gabe, he liked to frame this conversation as uh, the fight to keep Austin weird. Uh, and he would love to point out to everyone that it's a story that dates back much further than you might think. It actually starts with something called the Texas Archives War of 1842. First thing you need to know about today's story is the road from just land to statehood for Texas was an absolute mess. It was a oh, train yeah. wreck. It was like two trains filled with burning trash that collided. And then also someone threw spaghetti on the wreckage. Like that's how messy it was. Uh, the, in the summer of 1839, uh, what was the, then the nascent Republic of Texas was threatened by Mexican forces to the South. And they also had uh, a bitter internal conflict over what city should be the capital. And it's it's odd because if you look at multiple US states, you'll see a lot of a lot of conflicts, a lot of fights about which city gets to be the seat of power. And Austin, Austin, of course, ended up being the capital today. Uh, and a lot of historians think it's because of this war. So maybe, Noel, maybe we talk a little bit about how how the early days of Texas got so messy, right? There's the Texas Revolution in That's 1835. Right. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny. We, we don't really think about, first of all, an archive being particularly movable or something that's particularly contentious. Um, but in this case, it absolutely was. There was this whole kind of back and forth, push and pull over where the capital would go and along with it, its archive. And uh, in 1835, that uh, Texas Revolution you mentioned consisted of an uprising of colonists, United States colonists, and Mexican-American um, Texans known as Tejanos um, that lived in the southern part of Texas. And they were fighting against Mexican forces who were trying to take back Texas or, or you know, were, were fighting against the uh, statehood of Texas, which was, you know, a, a t territory uh, that Mexico considered theirs. The issue was really about self-governance and, and autonomy. These rebels would not accept any changes that uh, ceded power to Mexico, to the Mexican president. Um, instead of with the state itself, they didn't want to share any of that stuff, any of those uh, decision-making powers with Mexico. They wanted it to rest with the state and the local government. And that's because on March 2nd of 1836, the Republic of Texas government uh, was formed. Um, it was meant to be treated as an independent nation until it became part of the U.S. in 1845. Uh, there was that kind of brief nine years, but still um, comparatively brief, um, considering the history of the United States, uh, where Texas was self-governed, but it was not a particularly peaceful time. There, there, there was always, you know, threats coming to take back that power of self-governance. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. The Mexican government uh, heard about this Declaration of Independence, and their response was pretty much lol. Uh, mm -hmm. And they, they kept, yeah, and they kept uh, they kept raiding the southern western boundaries of of the area well into the 1840s. Smithsonian has a great article on this, and they point out a little bit about 
how the government of the republic was created. It was modeled on the U.S. Congress. Uh, it had two houses of the legislature. They were elected by what Texas considered to be citizens who were not free people of color, not Native Americans. It was like white dudes, the right kind of white dudes, etc. So all in all, the Congress represented about 70,000 people And we know this because they took a census once in 1840. One of the big things that you have to figure out when you start your own country is where you're going to put the capital. And this is how messy it was, folks. Five different cities in Texas were temporarily capitals in the very first year of the republic's existence. And they were they were not always jumping around because of local pride. You know what I mean? They were they were usually moving to escape invasion and capture by forces from Mexico. Uh, Sam Houston chose the city of Houston as the capital in 1837. Was he biased? I think so, because the city of Houston was already named after him. (laughs) So he was like, that sounds like a good one, you know. He did have a horse in the race. The Texas Congress, though, wanted to find some location in central Texas to build a planned city. But for the moment, Sam Houston got his way. The Republic's archives, which you mentioned at the top, included stuff like official documents, military records, land titles, trophies, international treaties, all this stuff was shipped from the city of Columbia to Houston with this new designation. And this this comes from an historian named Dorman Winfrey, who wrote about the Texas archive wars like more than half a century ago. And Mm -hmm. um, this is where... It gets sticky because Houston is not the capital of Texas today. How did that happen, Noel? That's right. Um, The next president of that, you know, uh, short-lived independent Texas republic was a guy named Maribel Lamar. Uh, That's how he said it. Uh, He was was an attorney from Georgia, uh, and he believed uh, that the only way to achieve any kind of progress as a nation was to uh, completely obliterate and and, and cause the extinction of the Native American um, race. Yeah, yeah, pretty problematic guy there. He wanted to move the capital to Austin, and he did that thing in 1839 um, because it was more central, like you said, Ben. Folks were not into this idea. Um, They were supporters of Sam Houston and Sam Houston himself. He felt that Austin was too remote, it wasn't very developed, and it was too close to Mexican and Native American people. rivals, you know, that mm-hmm. were potentially wanting to do them harm and invade their sovereign lands. The Comanche and Cherokee nations in particular were right around that that, that area. And we Houston then, you know, it's not what it like looks like today, but I do think of the the stereotypical image of Houston um, as being a little bit more of like a downtown kind of, you know, center of, of government, of, uh, you know, like mm-hmm. government buildings and things like that. Um, much more access to trade with uh, the Gulf of Mexico and all of that. Yeah. And so guess who comes back into the game? Sam Houston himself. He becomes president again the second time in 1841, and Austin is is the capital. And this, to me, is hilarious. He spent a lot of time 
beat me here, Max. He spent a lot of time just bitching and whinging about how much he hated. It's perfect about how much he hated Austin. He called it the most unfortunate site on earth for a seat of government. And what I love about this is like wherever you live, picture your president or your prime minister or whatever. Like if you live in the U.S., picture picture Joe Biden starting every speech in D.C. like he's an insult comic. You know what I mean? And he's like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I hope a hurricane comes through D.C. It'll do billions of dollars worth of improvements. And yeah, and like all, all, <laughs> all these terrible jokes. Like he's, it's just so, it's it's bad. It's like bad school spirit. It's bad for morale. You show up it is. and you're like, okay, hey, thanks for coming. Um, fuck DC. Anyway, go US. Uh, <laughs> good catch. And so what? he wouldn't even like get a place there. No he, no. he was so against it just in general, just as a city. Like yes. it sounded like he just had a fundamental issue with the whole vibe. Uh, again, you know, it did it did strike me as being a bit more uh, on the um it was on the upswing, but so it was probably a little more underdeveloped. I mean, there's talk sure. of like things like a thoroughfare, you know, it, maybe I'm picturing in my mind a little bit like, you know, uh, one of those pioneer towns like in Deadwood or something like that. Maybe it just was a little bit less developed and maybe there was like, maybe it was muddy or something. He didn't like getting his pantaloons uh, besmirched, but he would only stay in like boarding houses rather than, right. uh, or a boarding house rather than like taking up residence officially. Yeah. Yeah. And so, Houston felt like he had a lot of political capital to spend. He got three quarters of the vote in the uh, recent election. And so he said, I'm going to move the capital back to the town that happens to be named after me. And he, he kept he kept starting fights about this in the legislature and people kept batting down his his proposals. The people of Austin of course, they had they had pride in their hometown, but they also had an economic interest in remaining the capital. Because this was the capital of Texas, the city was growing at a rapid pace. It was, as you said, on the upswing. And if the capital relocated, then property values would tank. There would be less investment. It, like there would there would be a litany of economic complications. So, from their perspective, this Sam Houston guy was abandoning the actual seat of government, and he was maybe being alarmist about the threats from Mexican forces, mainly to achieve his political games and perhaps as a sop to his own ego. Uh, Here's what happened, though. Since you mentioned the forces of the Mexican government, they gave him the excuse he needed, the causus belli, to move the capital again. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. 
Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. Big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. In March of 1842, 700 troops from Mexico crossed the Republic of Texas borders and they occupied San Antonio, which was only about 80 miles from Austin. The officials of the time declared martial law. Tons of families evacuated to try to find a safer place to live. Houston was like, look, this is an attack. There will be more in the future. And we know from reading his correspondences with his fiancée that he was really concerned, not just for Mexican forces, but he was concerned that the Native American populations nearby would burn and destroy the city, especially its archives. He thought that Austin was actually, his ego aside, not a safe place for the capital of the Republic of Texas. And he was worried that he would get in trouble if he let Austin be captured as the capital. And, and we've, got the, we've got the letters where he says this, but one of the things he mentions is that if any president let this happen, they would be culpable and the entire nation would hate them. Right. It's true. I mean, it makes me, you know, I, I, again, I haven't really given much thought to the importance of archives, but you're right. And then the days where everything was on paper, the burning of these archives or the destruction would cause some irrevocable harm, not only in terms of morale, but just literally it would cause all kinds of problems with like property titles and deeds and all of that. Uh, he wrote uh, on March 24th of 1842, the destruction of the National Archives would entail irremediable injury upon the whole people of Texas. Should the infinite evil which the loss of the National Archives would occasion fall upon the country through his neglect, referring to himself, of imperious constitutional duty, he would be culpable in the extreme and must justly incur the reproach of a whole nation. Right. I mean, this is, remember, this is before the cloud. They have all their stuff on paper. It's, it's all in one place. This is foobar if, if the archives get taken. Uh, and a couple weeks before this all goes down, Houston had talked to his secretary of war, a guy named George W. Hockley, and he said, move the archives out of Austin to Houston. Doesn't matter what the capital is. Just move them. And, and there's a guy who's a commissioner of the general land office that, you know, deals with public lands and patents, and they keep track of all the records. This guy's name, I kid you not, is Pegleg. That's his street mm -hmm. name. Thomas Pegleg Ward, the commissioner of the general land office, uh, he gets the word, 
you gotta you gotta start packing up the boxes, get these archives ready to go. But there's another guy in Austin who is planning against this. He's the military commander. His name's Colonel Henry Jones, and he says, "This is malarkey. This is BS of the highest stink factor." He gets a <laughs> bunch of like he gets a bunch of pissed off Austinites together, and he's like, "Let's." Let's talk about this, but really what he means is like, let's get our pitchforks sharpened. Everybody brings something you can light as a torch. They form what they call the Committee of Vigilance to stop this transport, to guard the archives. They think this this war, like they're they're almost conspiratorial, honestly. They're like, the war on San Antonio, if war it is, is overblown. It's a pretext to move the capital from our city. Will we stand for that, good people of Austin? And they're like, no. Rabble, 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 rabble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what they say. Uh, rabble, rabble. Who, who said that in the McDonald Land uh, Pantheon? Was that the Hamburglar? Rabble, rabble? Oh, I don't I know. I Maybe. Rubble, rubble. I think that was like all he said as he was uh, making off with the hamburger. I still want to do a a great episode on the McDonald's Pantheon, man. I miss those folks, even though they're creepy. I like what the Fry fry Twins? The Fry Twins? The little little pom-pom looking dudes that looked like those. uh, Hold on a second. Uh, To give you all an answer, it was the Hamburglar who said rubble, rubble. There it is. That's what I said. Didn't I say that? In oh, did you? S- South Park, they uh, they also have like a rabble, rabble, rabble thing, I think. And um, you know who I, I always thought was such an excellent representation of capitalism is Mayor McCheese. Absolutely. That big old flat head, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Why did he have a sash that said mayor? Was that ever a thing that people actually did? You know, it's a good question. Um, oh, the Fry Guys. Yeah, the Fry Guys. They were like little pom-poms uh, mm-hmm. of various genders. With They were literally just pom-poms made of fries, I assume, uh, with legs and and uh, looks like kind of Converse-type sneakers. But uh, to answer your question, Ben, the mayoral sash, it does strike me as kind of an old-school you know, um, thing like, uh, in, in Deadwood, for example, the second time I've mentioned this today, there is a character named E.B. Farnham who owns the, uh, the inn and he is sort of a, everyone calls him a grotesque cause he's kind of this like hovering sort of like weirdo. Uh, they make him the mayor, uh, and it's clearly a symbolic gesture cause he's kind of an idiot. Uh, yeah. so that would strike me as the kind of person that would wear a sash that says mayor for their own benefit. Okay. All right. So now we could go back to Texas. We sorted out our VIT, very important things for this episode. That's uh, right. so we we go, also, we're going to take a flight, a one-way flight from McDonald land back to yeah. Texas. Wait, Max, yeah, one up? more thing. One more yes. thing. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. guys know what Grimace is? He's a blob, right? Purple blob? Is he catching? No. Is he a condiment? What? He's one giant taste bud. Oh, gross. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's so fucked up. Oh, I'm not okay oh, with that. Jesus, beep. Ben, beep. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not okay with this. I, I heard that somewhere. I'm maybe another podcast or something. Recently, I was like, "Are you kidding me? He's a taste bud." Why is that? Why is his name Grimace? Then shouldn't his name be like Umami or you know Tasty? Tasty the taste bud. I don't know. Okay. All right. Well, we're we're going back to Texas. We'll return to this. We'll sort this out. It's got me cursing on air. Sorry. 
grimace a taste whatever uh so i don't know the mcdonald corporation disputes this uh, uh i think it's oh, a little okay. bit i think i think it's still i think it's still up in the air but i like the idea uh the internet is a is a wild and mysterious place we got some um, connects we'll talk we, we but, really but, do but back to uh, texas back to texas okay so sam houston oh oh sam houston first tries to get these papers peacefully but then these austinites from this committee of vigilance they end up going to the messengers from Sam Houston. They take those messengers' horses and they protest by shaving off the tails and the manes of these poor, innocent horses, which is what um, our pals Miles and Jack over at Daily Zeitgeist would definitely call a weird flex. Yeah, I don't know. I don't don't imagine the horses much cared or noticed. Maybe they got a little chilly, but it's certainly not a good look for the horse riders. Uh, They would look absolutely foolish carrying their messages on these shorn uh, horses. But uh, Houston didn't let this get to him. He called a special session of Congress to get to the bottom of all this and sort everything out. It met on June 27th. He made it clear that it was very important to move the Capitol and the archives. Uh, But the legislature at the time did not take up his cause. His pleas fell on deaf ears and they did not make any moves in his favor. Then in the fall, troops from Mexico attacked San Antonio, um, which caused Houston to gather the Congress up for another special session. This time it met in an amazingly named hyphenate place that I don't believe exists anymore called Washington on Brazos. I imagine that had to have been a reference to like Washington being the capital of the U.S. They're trying to feel a little more like state-like or U.S.-centric. I don't know. That's weird. Why would they invoke Washington if they're still trying to be independent, Ben? No, I have a theory. I have a theory. Yeah, a theory. But it's like, you know, it's the same reason why like, Kaiser, czar, all comes from the word Caesar. It's just like, you mm-hmm. know, does Washington kind of mean like now to these people, like this is yeah. what we like signifies like a capital. This call is it a our Washington. Washington. It's yeah. legitimate. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, that's, I, I like think, it. I agree with you, Max. Yeah. So this is interesting because it feels like it could be a compromise, right? It's not mm-hmm. Austin. It's not Houston. Uh, it's not named after the president. So that conflict of interest is gone. But this, <sighs> This comes to us uh, courtesy of Patsy McDonald, who was the author of Texas Senate, Republic to Civil War, 1836 to 61. She also notes that there was a president of the Senate at the time, Edward Burleson, who didn't really dig Sam Houston's whole vibe. And so he said, I'm not going to support the legal decision that would trigger the transfer of the archives. So the motion to move this stuff stalled in a tie. And Houston said, look, the official channels aren't doing what I want. Well, I'm Texan, so I'm going to take the law into my own hands outside of Congress, outside the government, even though I run the government. Uh, he, He didn't really stress about that part. So December 10th, he secretly orders two officers from the Texas Army Captain Eli Chandler and Colonel Thomas Smith to gather up 20 guys to steal the archives from Austin with secrecy, efficiency, and dispatch and take them to Washington on Brazos. You know what this means, fellas? We've got a heist. Max, sound cue? Yeah. I love it. 
the the best part of this, by the way, Phil, is is watching Max's face when I just request a, a, a ludicrously vague sound cue. Max, you oh, got it. That was perfect. You mean you mean when it lights up with joy and, 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 and the uh, the uh, the anticipation of a creative moment? Yeah, I love that about Max. He's always down to clown when it so comes to the sound it. effects. So good. Always down. To, to, to SoundCloud. Um, oh, that'd be a good alternative to SoundCloud. Let's call it SoundCloud. And um, I don't know. We'll, we'll workshop It's that. got legs. But we could work on it. it. Yeah, it has giant shoes, too. The Texas Archives <laughs> War <laughs> became a thing. Houston wrote this of the momentous day that he ordered those uh, those two secret army officers, Eli uh, Chandler and uh, Thomas, um, to gather those forces. Uh, he said the importance of removing the public archives and government stores from their present dangerous situation at the city of Austin to a place of security is becoming daily more and more imperative. While they remain where they are, no one knows the hour when they may be utterly destroyed. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. The big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. It's not necessarily hyperbole there. I mean, he has serious concerns. So his his covert strike force enters town on December 30th in the wee hours of the morning. They were loading up the archives uh, into wagons when a local innkeeper named Angelina Eberly finds them. Uh, and she owns several spots in the city. She's playing the Monopoly game. In addition to her inn, she's got some properties. And she said... These archives have symbolic value to the Republic. 
we've already lost the capital here in Austin. And if we lose the archives, then we're going to be as a city left out of the future of Texas. So she runs in kind of like a, um, a Paul Revere style thing. Right. And she's telling yeah. everybody in Austin, yo, look, they're stealing the archives. I don't know if she said yo at the time, but she was like, you know, raising awareness and then an ad hoc army of angry locals gathered. Uh, then on Austin's main thoroughfare, Congress Avenue, there was a loaded six pound howitzer and it, it was carrying grape shot. And this was left over from the Republic's earlier wars with Native American communities. So this lady, Angelina, she faces the muzzle of the howitzer toward the land office and fires the cannon. This is, we know this happened. It comes from D.G. Wooten, author of A Complete History of Texas. And there was like, <laughs> uh, Ward Pegleg, the land commissioner from earlier, he writes a letter to Sam Houston about this. And he says, there was a cry, blow the old house to pieces. Some shots hit the land office, but no one was injured. No damage was done. Everybody was very lucky that there were no fatalities. History might have gone differently. Now, of course, Ward, this is a little historical Easter egg, of course, Ward um, has pre-existing beef with cannons. Pegleg was not a, like, no. ironic nickname. That's right. Ward, who was mayor of Austin at the time, lost his right arm to a, uh, a faulty cannon um, during a, a celebration of the five-year anniversary of the Battle of San Jacinto. Is there such thing as a peg arm? Why is he peg leg if he lost an arm? Not not to not to diminish the man's suffering. I just feels like a misplaced nickname, if you ask me. Yeah, he lost his right arm due to a cannon malfunction during the five-year anniversary of the Battle of St. Jacinto. And before that, at a earlier siege and assault of Bexar in 1835, he lost his right leg to cannon fire. So okay. cannons okay. hate him would be the BuzzFeed headline. <laughs> And, and and also peg leg would take precedent over uh, the the leg the leg injury came first presumably yeah. um, and then the, uh, the the arm followed suit uh, but the, the the nickname was already you know fully ensconced by that point so mm. Smith Chandler and their guys uh, made off with the archives in their wagons this is the heist we're talking about uh, they were pursued by twenty Austinites out for blood. Uh, some were carrying that cannon, or a, a cannon. Uh, and around noon the next day at Bushy Creek, which is just a, a lovely, uh, delightfully named creek north of Austin, the Austin folks literally took the troops hostage. They held them at gunpoint. Uh, Smith was ordered to uh, surrender or fight, according to um, Winfrey's account of the story, of which there are several. Um, another one written by Wooten, had the mob forcing Smith to move the archives back to Austin and Ward's account um, had the vigilantes hauling the archives back themselves. Um, mm -hmm. Fabulous article uh, from Smithsonian Magazine by Shella McClear. The fascinating story of the Texas Archives War of 1842 gives you the play-by-play -play for a lot of this stuff. Highly worth the full read. Mm -hmm. So regardless of the specifics, they did surrender the archives. The archives were returned to Houston. The Committee of Vigilance decided to party hardy, and they uh, got together the New Year's celebration. And some accounts, again, there's discrepancy between these accounts. Some accounts say they even said, hey, you know, Colonel Smith, come hang out. 
And uh, depending on which story you hear, he may have accepted, he may have declined. Either way, no one was seriously injured, no one died. It seemed like it was, it seemed like the war of the Texas archives was over. But they had to settle somewhere, and the land office was damaged by, you know, the innkeeper firing a cannon uh, to bring the building down. She actually, Mrs. Eberly, actually got the archives herself. Mm -hmm. The records were sealed in these tin boxes. They were stored at her place under 24-7 guard, and any attempt to take them by force, according to historians like Lewis Wills Kemp, would have triggered a civil war in Texas. Eberly definitely had a financial concern involved because she owned so much property and the property values would tank if Austin lost the capital and the archives. Um, old Pegleg is not super jazzed about this. He writes to Houston and says, I have employed all the exhaustion I could to have them restored <laughs> to this place, but in vain. And what the result may be, Providence alone can determine. Many threats have been made against me, but however dangerous or unpleasant my situation may be, I will not complain if I can do a service to the Republic. Oh, and then Congress got mad at Houston. It was a whole to-do. They reprimanded him, but what is, what does that mean? They all all they they were just like, we're mad at you. <laughs> yeah, they might have pounded a fist on a table or something, or possibly right. slammed a door or stomped a foot or something. But it did not appear to amount to any official like censure or actual consequences, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they just said, you know, you had no legal reason to attempt to move the archives, and he knew he didn't. He went outside of the law to do it. Uh, the archives stayed in Austin for a while. The seat of government was still Washington on Brazos. And Austin was at the time on the decline. It was turning into a ghost town. Uh, eventually, like Pegleg spends the first half of 1843 trying to get the archives back in the possession of the Land Commission. And, and, and this obviously, you know, plays into the whole idea of what we talked about, that the um, Austinites were very concerned that if the archives were not there, selfishly, um, that that uh, you know, explosion in, you know, development and, and all that stuff would probably start to wane. And as we see, it most certainly did, right? Yeah, yeah, it most certainly did. And so... So when Pegleg doesn't have any luck getting these archives out of Austin, he creates a new land office in the current capital, and he starts making a new archive. If you fast forward just the next year, July 4th, Independence Day, as we know it today in the U.S., uh, without too much hubbub and without too many growing pains, those two archives get combined and reunited in Texas. The Republic of Texas joins the USA a few months later on December 29th of 1845, and Austin ends up becoming the capital. Uh, this doesn't really get resolved until 1850. That's when the people of Texas finally vote to choose Austin as their capital, but that still doesn't become like official, like concrete, concrete until 1872 when there's a statewide vote that marks the end to this strange, very messy journey. I, I don't know, man. Should we start keeping archives? They seem important. 
Like, what if we need to make a state later? We should have some archives. Who's going to be in charge of the art? Max, Max, will you will you run the archives for us? I I guess so. that kind of seems like it'd be I don't know more. Y'all are the creatives. I'm the functional one. So I guess you know. Oh, thank Matt, you. Don't Thanks. sell yourself short. You're creative as well. He's not selling. Oh, well, as... I'm more selling y'all short. Yeah, he said oh, okay, he's functional. Oh, Did you well, catch that? Nothing if not non-functioning creatives. Um, <laughs> but I think I think between the three of us, we could successfully run and operate an archive. Don't you? I would like to think that, but you know, now we live in a world with the benefit of the internet. We have, uh, we have our own archive kind of going with uh, ridiculous historians over on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's where we start. We have podcast episodes. That's probably in the archive. You know what we need? We need a flag. I'm an mm -hmm. amateur vexillologist, which is the fancy word for <laughs> studier of flags. We could, we could. Uh, I don't know what would be on our flag. Maybe that's a question for the folks in the audience. That's a great idea. Design a, a ridiculous history flag for the ridiculous nation. Uh, one nation under fraud? I don't know. What are we? Um, um, one nation under whimsy? Uh, sure. Eh, it just doesn't quite no, have the same. We got to yeah. work. One nation under... Uh, yeah, we'll work on it. Send our send your suggestions for that as well. <laughs> That's our that this is our story today, and it's an amazing history. If you're listening and you are lucky enough to live in the city of Austin, uh, we hope you enjoy this episode. We hope you can also tell us where all the uh, all the good food is for when we uh, when we hit the road again, which may be sooner than later. Hopefully, coming to a town near you. I just remember really enjoying Torchy's tacos. I'm a big fan of a breakfast taco, breakfast Mexican food of any kind. Huevos Rancheros is really great. But hey, Austinites, let us know what your favorite taco place is. And, you know, we, we promised at the top of the show there being kind of a full circle connection as to how this whole back and forth hullabaloo sort of led to the strong identity of Austin and its citizens. Obviously, we've seen that and how, you know, how much they fought for keeping the archive and the capital there. Um, but how, how did this kind of enter into the current sort of keep Austin weird mentality that we talked about at the top of the show? Yeah, well, first it's a weird story. <laughs> that's not the that's not a story that uh all capitals can lay claim to. Uh, and secondly, this shows Austin's own independence within a first republic and then a state that very much prizes its own independence. Austin fought to become the capital. Uh, and even when things were looking dire, they did not give up uh, and they maintained a unique identity, which I would argue continues today to great acclaim. Indeed. Um, well, let us know if you have any more. Like I said, all the the Uber drivers that I had when I was in Austin were super, super um, uh, knowledgeable about the history of their city and were very proud. Uh, and one thing I also remember, we didn't see it in action, but there's this bridge where all of these bats hang underneath it. And uh, usually at a certain time, every single evening, the bats all... Um, you know, dissipate like en masse, but I think we missed it or it didn't happen that night or something like that. But lots of really cool uh, things to check out in Austin and I hope to make it back very soon. So let us know what your favorite uh, things to eat and do in Austin are. You can write to us at ridiculous at iheartmedia.com. You can join our Facebook group, the Ridiculous Historians, by, you know, just going to Facebook and pointing it toward Ridiculous Historians. Answer a couple of very simple questions and you're in. Lots of cool uh, folks chatting about history there and memes of plenty being shared. And I think you'd enjoy it. And the you, the royal you, you, the listener. 
You specifically, you listening now, uh, thanks to you, you specifically, of course, in Texas and abroad. Thanks, of course, to our ride or die super producer, Max Williams, Gabe Luzier, a research associate extraordinaire, Eves Jeffco, Christopher Hasiotis, you know, all the hits, all the good ones. Um, oh, and thanks to Jonathan Strickland. Indeed. Love that guy. In quotation fingers. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream, through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.